electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people, my friends, I'm trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate, to teach you. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The algorithms have taken over, and it's not good for the averages. Dow seeking 113 points, S&P tumbling 1.21%, and the NASDAQ nosediving 2.14%. Right now, the algorithms say sell tech sell, sell, sell. whenever interest rates go higher, which is how you get a wipeout like we had today. Then they buy tech when rates go lower, which is what happened yesterday, because the buyers decided inflation was peaking. Today, those buyers have now collectively decided we are not at peak inflation. Almost nothing matters right now at an individual company unless it gets a takeover bid from Elon Musk. Hold on just a second. Even that didn't matter by the end of the day. More on that one later. Now, you know, I think there is a bull market going on underneath all this nonsense. And it's a bull market in companies that make things and do stuff for a profit and return some of that profit to you, a shareholder, as long as the stocks are inexpensive. I know it's a big mouthful, but it's what can work in this environment. And there are stocks. There are stocks that meet the criteria. Today, though, we got still one more demonstration of the need to pivot out of momentum tech stocks and into the growth at a reasonable price names that trade on what we call the fundamentals. It's why we have a very high cash position for the Chapel Trust. You can follow that, of course, by joining the CNBC Investing Club. Now, we've been even slaughtering some of our pearls of momentum to preserve cash for the moment when this new bull market pulls back and we get a better entry point, which leads us immediately, of course, to our game plan. First, understand that when banks as diverse as standout Goldman Sachs, the average J.P. Morgan, and the very poorly performing Wells Fargo all invoke Ukraine as the principal risk factor. Wells Fargo? Not inflation. We have to take our cue from what happens this weekend, as our government's been pretty darn good at predicting the next move by the Russians, although it hasn't mattered, of course. Uh, We haven't done much about the, although the intelligence has been good. There's no real urgency to resupply the Ukrainians. I was doing some numbers, some numbers today about how little what we sent means for 
uh, I don't even want to go into it other than to say that I think our leaders are paralyzed by Putin's nuclear threats. I cannot believe how obtuse the West has been on this issue. Putin wants to somehow reconstruct the old Iron Curtain, except what he really sees himself as more of a czar. He's a real historian, this guy. I think the worst evolved into a stalemate, but it would be really bad if we let Russia eke out a win. How about earnings? Bank of America reports on Monday, and I think we're beginning to see this behemoth assert itself as the world's number one bank. I bet it won't disappoint. The main reason? Because CEO Brian Moynihan has quietly turned Bank of America into a technology powerhouse that's already converted multiple generations, not one, but multiple, into mobile banking users. The deposit base just grows and grows. That's going to help when the Fed raises. The costs go down and down, and the execution gets better and better. What is not to like here? At the same time, Brian himself has become the spokesperson for how banks must do more for social justice, for employees, for charities, and for general human empowerment. By the way, this is not lip service coming from this man. This is community banking going national and in many places international. People who believe in this stuff are voting with their feet. Tuesday's a fascinating mix. So many great companies in the running. Just in the morning, we get Halliburton, the oil service company that's becoming one of my travel trust's biggest positions. Then Johnson Johnson, busy breaking itself up to create more value, as well as Travelers, a boring but really good insurance company. And Prologis, a tremendous logistics real estate investment trust. It's a cacophony of greatness, all worthy of your trust. E-commerce has made Prologis one of the greatest stories of the last decade. I keep trying to show it to you. I, I, I wish it would come down so we could buy it for the trust. Now, next, Katie Huberty, that fabulous Morgan Stanley tech analyst, just slapped the buy rating on IBM today, which is fascinating alone because this is a, the, the quarter that I expect CEO Arvind Krishna to deliver a terrific one that we can grade him on. He spun off the slower-growing businesses, kept the fast ones. Should be IBM's time to shine when reports after the close. At the same time, we hear from Netflix, oh, this is tough for me. I mean, look, I created FANG many years ago, the, the acronym, to reflect the biggest momentum growth stocks. Netflix was the key to the acronym. But we're now in a streaming overload that nobody seems to be able to notice Netflix as much as they used to. Uh, you know, I still think they could charge more. Their product's so great. It's really a bargain. But um, that would help the stock to go higher. But Netflix is just not as bull as it was a decade ago, and it's hard to see how they can get that spark back. You know what happens, of course. You'll say, hey, listen, I'm watching Tokyo Vice. And someone will say, is that on Netflix? I'll say, no, it's HBO Max. I'm watching this one. It's on Hulu. I'm watching I mean, you know. You don't even know what anybody's watching. That means Netflix is lost in the shovel. Wednesday's the beginning of earnings overload. So let me just focus on the highest level area. As Procter & Gamble comes down, P&G, if it does, I am leaning on making the largest position in my travel trust, which, of course, you get. You can follow by joining CBC Investing Club by saying this to, to Jeff Marks, my partner, just this morning in our morning meeting. We think that this one is perfect post-pivot. After the close, oh, oh boy, after the close is Tesla. Big shocker he chose to report on April 20th, huh? I have to tell you that Elon Musk is such a dominant figure of our time that I bet he wows us on the call. What does that mean? One, Tesla's Chinese production is going well despite the lockdown. Hey, look, Matt, uh, Matt Boss, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Jim, uh, Boss just told us today, this is very important, that Nike's having a good quarter. And it made me think, we had one earlier, if Nike's having a good quarter in China, why can't Musk? I bet you he shocks us there. That's going to be one. Number two that he's going to wow us on. The factory in Germany. I think it's crushing, believe it or not. BMW, Audi, all guys, you know, Mercedes. And then three, the Cybertruck. Maybe it's ready. Triple header. I, I, I'm telling you, I could, you know, all this stuff obscured. Uh, all the stuff with the, with the um, Twitter obscured. What I think is going to be an amazing call. 
All right, this past week, the most important earnings call came from Delta Airlines, of all places. CEO Ed Bastian said the bookings are the best he's ever seen. If United Airlines says the same thing on Wednesday, then boom, the group's got more legs, as does the travel uh, cohort in general. See, Marriott was up again today. What will ATT tell us when it reports on Thursday, now that it's shed the pastiche that was Warner Media? Maybe nothing. I'm not a huge believer in this one. We have T-Mobile as a market share taker. We have Verizon's steady growth with good yield, and ATT's more like the rotting carcass that they're feasting on. I also want to know about a company that I have not cared about in a decade. I can't believe I'm finally mentioning this. You probably don't even recognize the symbols. Freeport McMoran. Now, uh, Freeport McMoran, that's a copper miner. Why do I care? Because copper is a terrific proxy for the Chinese economy. And Freeport will tell us where the copper's going. Unlike the bank CEOs, I'm as worried about what will happen in China as in Ukraine, because if the Communist Party continues its insane efforts to contain Omicron by locking down vast swaths of the country, their economy could collapse, and they may even have a famine, which then breeds unrest. Shocking, but it could happen. Now, Dr. Copper might tell us that China's in big trouble, so let's pay close attention to Freeport. Finally, on Friday, we have a report from a company that I think is a screaming buy in light of what we've heard from Delta. And that's American Express. I don't know how this one gave up so much ground. We had a nice move today, uh, given what we just found out about Delta. Visa and MasterCard have caught buyers. It's time for the company we call Express simply to do the same and go back to where it was. And in the new world where oil's among my favorite sectors, we need to know what Schlumberger has to say. This is the largest oil service outfit on Earth. Historically, they've relied on the State of the Union for their industry. The industry. That, they're the guys you listen to. Plus, Summersay is the single best view of what's happening in Russian oil and gas. Remember, the Russian war of genocide against Ukraine is funded by the EU oil and gas payments. Right now, $38 billion since the war began. Much, much more than the cost of the war itself for Russia. No wonder they continue it. Will Russians one day have a decline in oil production? I bet Summersay can trace that what is about to happen if they stop drilling. The bottom line, it's a wild week. But again, the bonds, the genocide in Ukraine, the terrible things that the Chinese are doing to their own people, they're the stories that do matter, with Treasuries running roughshod over everything once again. Aaron in New York. Aaron. Hey, Jim. I just got a question about uh, American Tower. Mm -hmm. I picked it up a couple weeks ago uh, to diversify a little bit, but with all the recent market news and variables coming out and hitting the housing market, do you still think the REIT sector is a good play, or do you think inflation is going to entrench the housing market? Historically, uh, your second half is right. Uh, Historically, they've done poorly when the Fed tightens. Uh, I have backed away from them. I sold uh, uh, Crown Castle and a nice profit for my capital trust. Just the wrong place, wrong time. Uh, And, that you know, it's hanging up there, Crown Castle is in particular, but I got out around here Made money and moved on. Let's go to David in Florida, please. David. Hey, Kramer. Just want to ask you quickly, is this a good time to buy Qualcomm? Okay, now, my travel trust has been buying it. It has not done well. It's part of a cohort that nobody wants. They announced a really big deal uh, with with the number nine car company in the world today. Nobody cared. They are going to have unbelievable growth. Nobody cares. They sell 11 times earnings. They boosted the dividend. And I am willing to take the nobody cares and say, you know what? I'm going to be right. We're buying. We want to buy some more next week. I think the stock's too cheap. And I'm thinking more than just two weeks, okay? Now, look, we got another wild weekend. I think bonds, Ukraine, and don't forget China will be the stories that matter next week. With treasuries running roughshod over everything. Oh, man, buddy, today, CarMax reported this week giving investors a peek into the used car market. That's a peek and a peek. That's, that's a play on words. And now I'm giving you my take on the space. Then we're wrapping up our Garb series and taking a look at some underappreciated industrials. 
and Zoom has been beaten down from its COVID highs. I'm hearing what the video conferencing company has in store from the company's CFO. It's going to be AI. Stay with Craig. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. This week we got some incredibly important economic data. The consumer price index, the producer price index. The latest update from the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. But maybe the most important piece of the puzzle was something entirely different. I'm talking about the earnings report from CarMax, the big chain of used car dealers. Yet, believe it or not, if you want to get a read on where inflation's headed, you could do a lot worse than taking your cue from the used car market. In retrospect, used cars have been a powerful leading indicator of the broader wave of inflation that's taken the country by storm. That's why we were so really just glued to watching the numbers, listening to the conference call from CarMax so closely. And they tell a very different story from the overheated CPI and PPI figures. Maybe they're one of the reasons why people say peak inflation. First, though, you need to understand why we care about CarMax in the first place. For most people, inflation became a big story about 11 months ago. And that's when it became clear we were afflicted with high inflation that just wouldn't go away. It was last May when this really hit home. Uh, We got hit with a 4.2% consumer price index. In retrospect, that seems pretty low. But if you're watching the used car market, that inflation number last May wouldn't have caught you by surprise. 
because used car prices have been up double digits since the summer of 2020. Now, we all know why we had this tremendous bull market in used cars. As people got used to remote work in 2020, they started moving from the cities to the suburbs in the country, places where they could have more space, but where you also need your own car to get around. Plus, mass transit came to be widely perceived as a COVID aerosol breeding ground, as we came to realize that what happens is it's in the air. At the same time, when cookies started seeing shortages for key auto components, especially semiconductors, limiting new production. When you don't have enough new cars to sate the market's demand, people start buying new ones. So used car prices surged higher and higher. If you were watching this data, you would have gotten an early warning about the slowly building wave of inflation that's now the biggest story in this economy. With that in mind, what can we learn from CarMax? Earlier this week, the used car chain reported a big earnings miss. If you only looked at the headline numbers, you might consider this a mixed quarter because the overall sales came in higher than expected. But when you check under the hood, there were some very troubling developments for a great company, for CarMax. First, retail used unit sales declined by 5.2%, and same-store used unit sales were down 6.5%, much worse than what the analysts were looking for, much worse. Just as important, CarMax saw its gross profit per retail used unit key metric come in slightly better than expected, but it was also down 2% versus the previous quarter. That's one reason the company had such a large earnings miss, with the earnings per share down nearly 23% year-over-year. Not good. My takeaway, with used car prices up roughly 40% year-over-year for CarMax, well, we're finally seeing what's known as demand destruction. People just don't want to buy as many used vehicles if they're going to have to pay that much. I mean, that's reflected in declining unit sales numbers. I know you would think twice. We gotta, you got to think twice about it. Making matters worse, CarMax has to pay more and more for its own inventory, which is why the company saw some gross margin regression. In the end, used car prices can't keep soaring like this forever. After 18 months of explosive used car inflation, it finally became too much for the consumer to bear. Obviously, that was very bad news for CarMax's already beaten down stock. This thing peaked in the mid-150s in November. And that was, of course, when the Federal Reserve declared war on inflation. So many other growth stocks peaked at the exact same time. Look at that. It's like all the other ones I show you. And it's already tumbled down to 103 before the latest quarter. But then after we got the results on Tuesday, the stock plunged another 9.5%. And it's continued to work its way lower yesterday and today. J.P. Morgan just downgraded CarMax from overweight to neutral in response. It might be a little bit late to the party. That said, they, they make some compelling points about how the lack of affordability for used cars is driving away business, so the numbers need to be cut. What about the other used car salespeople? Let's start with Carvana, the major disruptor in the industry. Wow. Look at this, huh? They are the ones that let you buy online, then pick up your car from an automated garage that's like a giant vending machine, or have it delivered to your home. Jeez, it's nasty. Regular viewers know that we've been very nervous about Carvana since late last June. That's when I told you to ring the register. There seemed to be signs of slowing in the used car prices, uh, used, the used car price increases. You know, we had a beat on this. Now, obviously, that was premature. Prices surged again late, late fall. But sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Because while Carvana initially jumped from 305 to 376 a month and a half later, it since came plummeting back to earth. I think some of that was a short squeeze, by the way. If you sold this one when I warned you in June, you avoided a 66% decline. So why has Carvana been hit so hard? For exactly the same reasons as CarMax. The used car business is topping out. Plus, there's another teensy tiny problem with Carvana. They may be a disruptor, but they don't actually make any money. Carvana is a growth-at-all-costs kind of company, which worked great back when Wall Street only cared about revenue growth. But like so many others, this thing went out of style when the Fed put its foot down last November. Carvana's now become yet another broken momentum stock. 
Doesn't help, by the way, that there have been recently uh, some some credit concerns here. Carvana offers its customers financing and then unloads these loans via asset-backed security sales. Unfortunately, those used car-backed bonds, they haven't been selling too well of late. It's an all-around bad situation, which is why I think this thing could have even more downside. How about Vroom or Shift Technologies, which are basically Carvana knockoffs? Same story. Neither of them make money, so their stocks have been eviscerated. Just total disasters for the shareholders. Once I tell you to avoid the only name in the used car, uh, is the only ones that are really working that I feel even a little bit better about are the hybrid used in new car dealers. It's AutoNation, Sonic Automotive, Group One Automotive, Asperger Automotive. They benefit from the return of new car supply as the automakers finally get their supply chains in order. More importantly, these dealerships are actually profitable. Their stocks are fairly reasonable. Uh, honestly, though. They're so cheap that you got to worry that the estimates need to come down. Remember, when they're that cheap, they look. That's always a, that is almost always the preliminary indicator that the numbers are going down. Typically, you don't want to own anything auto-related when the Fed is tightening this aggressively. That's just in the playbook. But if you insist on owning a used car play, I say go with Lithia and Driveway. This is also a new and used car dealership roll-up. They buy more dealerships with Carvana-like home delivery kicker. But Lithia is extremely well run. The stock sells for just seven times earnings, which is pretty remarkable. I think it's the wrong moment for this one, too. But if you disagree with me, Lithia is the way to go. The bottom line, on Tuesday, when everybody was freaking out about the 8.5% consumer price index number, that is a hot number, you might have noticed that used car and truck prices were down 3.8% for the previous month. That is something that's very much corroborated by that hideous quarter from CarMax. While that's bad news for the used car industry, it could be a fabulous time for the broader economy because it means we're finally making some progress in getting inflation under control. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, scratch that industrial itch. Our ongoing hunt for growth takes a turn toward the mega machines. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Days days like today, I mean, honestly, you don't think the market wants anything, right? Can't find a thing to buy. Things goes down and down and down. But you're wrong. The market does want something. It wants profitable growth companies with stocks that trade at a reasonable price, not overly inflated by momentum. Now, that's often known by a shorthand. It's called 
growth at a reasonable price or a GARP. That's why all week I've been highlighting companies with faster than average growth rates and price earnings multiples that are equal to or lower than those growth rates. On Monday, we covered the travel and restaurant plays. Tuesday, it was the underappreciated financials. Then last night, I talked about the Garpia Semiconductor Companies and Semiconductor Capital Equipment Makers, a group that's suddenly gotten very out of favor, but now is GARP. Tonight, I've got one more group for you, and it's the industrials. We ran our growth at a reasonable price screen on the S&P 500. We got 51 results, results total, and we've been picking and choosing from those names to come up with these lists. Out of the 51 S&P stocks that passed the GARP test, nine of them were industrials. So here we go. Now, not all these industrials are worth owning. Right off the bat, we saw two trucking companies, Packard and Cummins. These are trucking-related names. Uh, they're both fine companies, especially Cummins. I really like them. But I can't in good conscience at this moment recommend a play on truck manufacturing while we're seeing a lot of evidence to suggest the whole freight industry is experiencing a serious slowdown. Trucking rates are leading the way lower. That means Packard and Cummins will likely experience some nasty estimate cuts. So although their stocks certainly look cheap here, there's a very good chance they'll end up being more expensive once the numbers come down. Remember, it goes the multiple is when it's really low. What that really is signaling often is that the earnings estimates are going to be cut. Then we've got two more manufacturers with outsized exposure to housing. And they're both good companies, Stanley Black & Decker and Fortune Brands Home and Security. Just like trucks, though, I don't want to get behind anything housing-related right here, not with mortgage rates surging and likely heading to higher, which means the numbers there are probably too high. Again, when I say the numbers, I'm talking about the earnings estimates. That leaves us with five industrials that pass the growth at a reasonable price test. And they're very surprising, I think. General Electric, United Rentals, Halmet Aerospace, Textron, and one that I've really not liked for a long time, Johnson Controls. Let's take them one by one, starting with the most controversial. General Electric. After years of restructuring and asset sales, GE's now got an aerospace business, a healthcare equipment business, a power business that makes nat gas turbines, turbines, as they, turbines they call them. I call them turbines. And a nuclear reactor and a renewable energy business. Even before the pandemic, GE was struggling with a host of problems. Then COVID came along and crushed all things aerospace. I think you can recover because we simply don't have enough aircraft for a while. But GE is still struggling with supply chain woes, higher labor costs, and inconsistent numbers. So why do I like it then? Even when GE reported a mixed quarter in January and then disclosed more problems in February, they maintained their, old, their full year forecast. They also reiterated their numbers at, the, uh, at their analyst day a month ago. And by the way, they talked about the turbine business. You know, it could pick up. Think about the energy crisis we're having. Plus, this may sound really, really crazy, but I actually like GE's head markets. After hearing from Delta Air yesterday, that business is incredible. I feel very confident the aerospace business can finally see a long way to recovery. GE's healthcare division is fantastic, and the renewable energy business has always been good. I can even make a case uh, that the power business is going to be uh, more attractive because of all these LNG exports we're going to do to hopefully natural gas uh, uh, plants in I don't know. I mean, Poland's got them. Maybe Germany and every one of those countries could use some natural gas power plants. And by the way, here's a wild one. They got a Canadian order, small format nuclear reactor. Can you imagine if that came back? Most important, GE is going to break itself up into an aviation business, healthcare business, and the energy business. The whole process could take years. But I think it'll be excellent for shareholders because at the moment, this stock is worth less than some of its parts. I know some disagree. I don't. This is the best I've felt about GE for years. The company's growing at a high double-digit clip, and its stock sells for 17 times next year's earnings estimates. That's growth at a reasonable price, especially, you've got to understand, if you were Delta, 
you should have reached for anything related to airlines. And wait to hear United next week. Second, Ob One United Rentals. This is the this is the largest equipment rental company in the in the world, with a huge fleet of construction and industrial machinery. These guys were on the roll for much of last year for much of the same reasons they used car dealers. Supply chain problems made it tough for machinery companies to produce enough new equipment so you had to rent it if you wanted this stuff. Then United Rentals peaked in November. Yep, Fed. Since then, it's down over 20%, even after a nice rally today. I've heard some analysts argue that strong demand for rentals should wane as more new machinery comes online. Although I sure don't see much evidence that the supply chain problems have been fixed. Hey, Caterpillar stock was strong, too. United Rentals does not use Caterpillar stuff. I'm just mentioning it because it's in my head. United Rentals has a lot of exposure to the booming oil and gas market and also uh, could benefit from the big bipartisan infrastructure bill. Somebody will, right? In the end, the company's growing in a nearly 20% clip with a stock that trades at just 12 times earnings. That's GARP. Third, one you don't know, probably Halmet Aerospace. It's an engineered products business that was created when Arconic broke itself up in 2019. Arconic being the company that Alcoa spun off in 2016. Halmet makes highly specialized aircraft components as well as some components for heavy-duty trucks. Again, I don't love the trucking exposure. That's only 22% of the business. I very much like the aerospace exposure. And Helmet's also got this kind of nice defense kicker that suddenly looks a lot more attractive, sadly, because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, unlike the others, this stock's actually up nearly 12% for the year. But how much still relatively cheap versus its growth rate, which is what we're focused on? The company's earnings are rising at a 35% compound annual growth rate over the next two years. I think it's therefore a steal at 25 times earnings. To me, this is a nice way to play the aerospace recovery. Fasteners, their primary business, aren't exactly sexy, but it takes hundreds of thousands of these to make a commercial airplane. They're also known as screws. Fourth, Tektron is another aerospace and defense play. You may recognize them as Cessna jets or Bell helicopters, although they also make tanks, golf carts, snowmobiles, and even lawnmowers. Well, those are really good under one roof. Tektron did very well under, uh, during the pandemic because demand for business jets never really went away. Safest way to fly. However, after a series of earnings beats, they've reported a couple of inconsistent quarters in a row. Textron's now pulled back nicely, though. And uh, between the core private jet business, which is still strong, PJs. Why can't they just say private jet? Is it so quick to say PJ? And the defense business. I think there's plenty of reason to own this one. Plus, Textron's got a 20% growth rate and stock trades at 17 times earnings, which is exactly what we mean when we keep talking about and harping on GARP. Final GARP industrial, one I haven't liked in a long time, is called Johnson Controls, JCI. Makes all sorts of products that go into primary non-residential buildings, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, equipment, fire safety gear, building automation, controls, energy storage. Historically, Johnson Controls has been a very consistent operator. But thanks to growing supply chain worries, well, the stock has pulled back 25% from its highs last year, late last year. Now, late last month, Deutsche Bank upgraded this one to a buy, arguing that they don't have that much exposure to war-torn Europe or lockdown China. At the same time, the vast bulk of their HVAC sales come from non-residential construction, which should hold up a lot better than housing going forward because of mortgage rates. Most important, Johnson Controls should be able to put up 23% earnings growth this year, and the stock trades at 19 times earnings, which very much passes our GARP test. All I can say is that it's about time these guys put up a good earnings spree. Here's the bottom line. After years where the market chased growth at all costs, we're now in a post-momentum pivot environment where Wall Street wants solid companies with easily justifiable valuations. And that's why we call it GARP. And that's also why I've spent the whole week highlighting these stocks. And now you've got 20 to pick from. I want you to keep them on their shopping list and we'll keep their feet to the fire. Paul in my home state of New Jersey, please, Paul. Booyah, Jim. From Heaven Heights, New Jersey. Excellent. I want to thank you for all your help and guidance. It's so greatly appreciated. Uh, thank, thank you, you buddy. So much. Thank you. I got, yep, I got a question about Generac. 
I bought a small amount in 2020, started buying more in a drop late last year. Unfortunately, it just hit a 52-week low today. You know, the grid being less than optimal, is it still a buy? Should I hold or should I cut my losses? Thank you. Okay, so Paul, this is one of those that got hurt because it has a high multiple, and a lot of people feel like it's very linked to mortgage rates. I don't think it is. Uh, I don't know where to start the position we had in our bullpen for uh, the for the chapel source, but couldn't pull the trigger because rates are going up. But I sure as heck don't want to sell it down to almost 30 percent uh, and selling at a P.E. of 21 times this year after that's an ex- excellent growth rate. Sometimes, Paul, the best ones just don't go up. And Generac is one of the best ones, particularly given how poorly uh, preserved our electric grid is. How about Abraham in New York, please? Abraham. Speaking. Hi, Jim. I appreciate your uh, call and uh, all your knowledge over uh, the years. Thank you. Man. And I got a couple of questions for you in reference to Boeing, BA. What is the problems? It used to be the best, you know, uh, air makers, you know. Uh, Everything. No, no, you know, look, you're absolutely right. I mean, Abram, you know we, we own it. We sold some higher. We've got a good basis of it for the Chapel Trust. Thank you for being, being a member of the club. Uh, we almost pulled the trigger. Why? Because it's just after what Delta said, aerospace is coming back, and Boeing, even if it screws it up, is going to come back. So we say hold it, and if it goes under 180, then you want to pull the trigger, which is, and you'll be right there with us. You'll be getting the bulletin that that's what we're doing. I'd like to go to Jim, my old home state of Pennsylvania. Jim. Hey, Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am doing fine. How are you? Good, sir. Uh, true pleasure. Uh, I'm a longtime holder of FedEx. Uh, stock has taken a beating the last 12 months. Do you expect a turnaround? I think it can. I think that commerce is going to come back. We have Ukraine and we have problems in China. But I think you've got to think a little bit longer term about this incredible company that Fred Smith built. It's a very well-run company, but right now the numbers are probably too high because of all the worldwide turmoil. But e-commerce is very strong. Uh, I also, when UPS came down, 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 down from where we sold it, I actually brought it up with Jeff Marks. I said, maybe we should look at it again. These stocks are getting hit, but it's because their numbers are probably too high. We are in a moment where Wall Street wants growth at a reasonable price, also known as GARP. That's why we spent the week highlighting these stocks, because this is where the bull market is now. And we just gave you 20 to pick from. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Zoom. Is there room for Zoom in a post-COVID world? I'm getting the latest from the company's CFO, and I like it. Then, take one look at my mentions column, and it's tough to see who and what Twitter is right now. Could today's bid for Elon Musk be a good thing for the social media platform? I'll give you my take, and believe me, it's positive, because my mentions are so scary. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What do we do with the stock Zoom video, the ultimate COVID stock that's now plummeted from $588 a year and a half ago down to $110 today? While this thing's rallied 15 bucks since it bottomed with the rest of the Nasdaq last month, it's still way down from its highs. Perhaps more important, at these levels, Zoom has a much more reasonable valuation. It trades at just under 30 times earnings, not sales, but earnings. However, before we get a truly investable bottom, I think Zoom needs a new narrative. So we got to stop thinking of it as a pandemic play. Start recognizing it as a secular growth story. 
Earlier this week, Zoom held a really interesting meeting. It's a work transformation summit where they unveiled their latest innovations to help facilitate this new era of hybrid work. It really bothers me because it was completely ignored. I think it's worth taking a closer look. So let's check in with Kelly Steckelberg. She's the chief financial officer of Zoom to get a better sense of what's happening here. Ms. Steckelberg, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you. It's great to see you here, Jim. Yeah, Kelly, I've got to tell you, conversational AI, I think, is the next frontier for people who are trying to close deals because people, frankly, would rather do Zoom deals than go in person. It's just the way it is. It's less expensive. Can you please explain to people how revolutionary what you did this week was in terms of making it so that salespeople can do such a better job? Yeah, so we announced a new product this week, which is Zoom IQ for sales. And it's exactly as you say, it's going to give sales organizations the ability to have these really effective meetings over Zoom and to evaluate just how effective they are after the fact. So it's a conversational analytics tool that allows all the way from sales to through the whole entire customer journey to analyze those conversations, to use them and go back and evaluate them for training and even a conversation like this, like I could go back and look at it for filler words and just to see how effective my communication style actually is. Well, it's incredible. I mean, look, I taught sales at Goldman Sachs. What I wouldn't have done to have this product, because so many we never get to see why salespeople are not successful. We just hear about it. But maybe it's because they, uh, frankly, played with a pen like I'm doing. Or maybe they said, oh, or, you know, or things that we really wanted to try to drill down and stop. I don't know if people realize that this may be integral. I know Mark Benioff does from Salesforce because I think people don't understand. You get one impression. You got one and you got to make it. And it was some staggering number of people close deals now or admitted that deals are more easily closed on Zoom than in person. Yeah, it's amazing how efficient this tool makes our lives. Right. And over the last few years, everybody has evolved. Zoom has really grown from being this meetings app to being a communications platform that we are all used to bringing convenience to our lives every day. And while we're so excited about Zoom IQ for sales, we also have a few full communications comprehensive platform, which includes our Zoom phone product, which is our cloud PBX solution. We have Zoom rooms, which is our conference room solution. And then we also have Zoom events to really support the future of events, which are going to be hybrid in nature as well. Just as you say, it's so much more efficient and effective for organizations to be able to bring people together in person, but also have this virtual component for the reach that they've been experiencing over the last few years. So we're really excited about the future of the unified communication. I think so, too. But when we were trying to get behind the stock, even though it's fallen a lot, we're worried about one thing. Just be very specific. Your CFO on the estimates that I see 2022. People think you'll do $5. 2023, they think you'll do $3.50. And institutional managers are always loath to be able to buy a stock, loath to touch a stock that in the numbers, just the collection of facts set like numbers, you're going to have a down year. And I don't know what to say to that. I mean, $3.50, the stock's cheaper, obviously, but that's because it'll come down. And you're a CFO. You see that objection. How How do you defeat the objection? So at Zoom, we are focused on continuing to innovate and and build this platform. And we're really in an evolutionary phase as we're moving through, you know, 
everyone grew to know us and love us as this amazing meeting app during the last two years. And now as we're evolving to this full communications platform, we are investing more in areas like R&D, so we continue innovating, as well as growing our sales capacity on a global basis, including not only direct sales rep, but also channel. And part of what happened over the last few years is that there was such a tremendous growth in our top line that we couldn't keep up from an investment perspective. And now we're going back and, and making sure that we're hiring in all the right places and that we have all of the data centers that we need on a global basis. And, and that's why you're going to see this investment so that we're setting ourselves up for continuing to take market share and top line growth while we're investing, but over time creating a sustainable top line growth. Well, there must be a dozen companies that you could aug- that you could augment your company with. Uh, and not, I'm not talking about the gigantic $30 billion deals. I'm talking about just some really good deals that make it so that you have an unassailable platform so that when I get my Hewlett-Packard and it defaults to teams, I, I say, I don't want teams. It's not good enough. Can that happen? So M&A is a really important part of our future strategy. We have an amazing corp dev and M&A team that thinks about this every single day. And you're absolutely right. There are many smaller companies out there that can really augment not only our talent, but also our technology and accelerate areas of development. For example, one product that we became generally available last year was Zoom Contact Center. And this is a perfect opportunity mm-hmm. to continue acquiring you know, features and functionality that will accelerate the development of that product. And so you should expect that to be a bigger part of our strategy in FY20. Well, look, I look forward to the conversations. I'm so glad you came on the show. I am an, I am a Zoom user at least three or four times a day. And I want you to win. I have always wanted to win. I just got to see some earnings acceleration. Maybe you'll give it to us, and that'll be terrific. Kelly Stecklberg, CFO of Zoom, with a really good suite of products. You should check it out. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. May have money be back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski that time the lightning round is about to start with Marty in New York. Marty. Yeah. Hey, Jim. Uh, question for you. First of all, I have to call you the professor and, and not Jimmy Chill. Thank you so, so much for, for everything. You're extremely knowledgeable. Thank you. Jim, Thank yeah. You. Uh, a few months ago, um, you were talking about a stock, uh, Innovative Industrial Properties, ticker IIPR. Uh, since the beginning of the year, it's taken uh, uh, quite a fall from grace, uh, dropping uh, about 75 points. Um, two weeks ago, Jim, the company made a public offering of like over a million and a half uh, shares of right. common stock, and then it, 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 it like tanked. Yeah, um, so I know. I mean, but remember, it's cannabis is a growth industry. It yields 4%. I'm looking for, if you're looking for income, I think it's a really good place to look for income. And I'm not backing away from that. I think it's been a terrific long-term stock and it will remain a great long-term stock. Let's go to Timothy in New York. Timothy, please. Mr. Kramer, yes. I'm a Gulf War vet from Americus, Georgia. It is a pleasure and an honor to speak with you today, sir. Uh, I you're read very your... kind. Thank you. Thank you. What's up? 
I, re- I read your books when I was in prison. It inspired me to survive. I'm calling about 1-800-Flowers today. Every year around this time, it plays possum ahead of Easter, earnings, and Mother's Day. What do you think, sir? I think for a trade, it's good. I don't know. The stock just, you know, the stock is in one of these markets that it just will not lift. But I think that it's a very expensive stock, a very well-run company, and it's got a catalyst, which is, as you say, uh, Easter and Mother's Day. Let's go to Stephen in California. Stephen. Uh, yes, uh, Jim, thank you for taking my phone call. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, stock I'm interested in is, uh, you know, a buy or sell is uh, Green Brick Partners. Uh, I know Green Brick Partners. Now the problem with Green Brick Partners, again, it's housing. There's so many companies that are in the grips, just absolutely in the grips of what I regard as being the Fed trying to stop or slow the economy. You have to wait until you get the all clear. Now you have to do a little, of course, before the all clear, but people don't want anything related to housing because of how vociferous the Fed heads are about stopping and slowing inflation. Let's go to Randy in Ohio. Randy. Yeah, Jim, I'm in Idaho. But anyway, I'm, I love your show. I've been following you since Cudlow. But I want to know about Clearfield, the fiber optics company, CLF. I think it's interesting. I think the telecommunications fiber optics is, is very good. But you know what? I mean, look, I'd rather own a T-Mobile. I get direct exposure to the fastest growth uh, and well-run company in the telco business. One more. Let's go to Kelly in Wyoming. Kelly. A big booyah to you, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I am fine. Booyah right back to you, says Jimmy Chill. I will be chill once I get my points across about how Musk must win. Go ahead. I'm coming to ask you about Virgin Galactic SPCE, your thoughts on investing in it. Look, I know people want to take a long-term view, and that's great. I mean, this is like a lottery ticket. Some lottery tickets do win, but right now I'm not recommending any stocks that are losing a lot of money. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the... Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, should this bluebird get to fly? Kramer considers Elon Musk's vision for Twitter. Next. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Between crazy and nothing, I'll take crazy any day of the week. That's why so many of us are eager to see Elon Musk acquire Twitter, because right now we have no idea who or what this company is. Now, we spent a lot of time speculating about how serious Musk is with his best and final offer, terminology that unfortunately precludes his getting Twitter, as any board member would be afraid to vote for a preemptive bid to get control for such a small premium to where the stock was trading yesterday. You could argue that Twitter ought to take the bid because the stock's moved up far above where it was trading a few weeks ago. But most of that may have been fueled by Musk's own buying, something that he didn't properly disclose. In the end, though, I think the fault here is largely with Twitter, not with Elon Musk, who may be the greatest business person of our time. Over the last few years, Jack Dorsey, the former CEO of Twitter, who also happens to be the CEO of Square, which is now Block, was basically a part-timer. The stock has been horrendous, basically sinking back to where it was when it came public nearly a decade ago. And that's been an incredible decade for the broader stock market. So any shareholder should welcome a change in management. The thing is, we got one last November. 
Dorsey left and chose a successor, Parag Agarwal, a seemingly talented technician who few people outside of Twitter had ever heard of. We know nothing about what he wants to do with the platform. Uh, you'd think he'd have articulated his philosophy by now, but so far there's been next to nothing except the boilerplate Village Square bromides. He's not even a heavy user of the product. I'm sure that's good for his mental health, but it's not what you want to see in the CEO. Hey, Elon Musk, a heavy user. Even this afternoon, he's doing some great stuff. Now, you might think be, uh, that... Uh, that this fellow, I don't know, I mean, the new guy. You might think that he's trying to clean up the crypto scams that Musk was talking about frequently. Or how about the exhortations to violence that I deal with every day? Nothing. As far as I can tell, the only part of Twitter that seems to be functional is Ned Siegel, the incredibly responsive CFO. But this is a company with a history of underperformance. So a good chief financial officer is not enough. It desperately needs a strong, aggressively active public CEO, even as Ned does a fantastic job and we at Mad Money wish him a very happy birthday. So into that vacuum comes Elon Musk, a heavy Twitter user who's controversial, but he's basically a good guy. And more important, he's a great thinker. He wants Twitter to be the real town square, the one it claims to be. And perhaps because Twitter's so trapped in the four walls of trying to please the analysts who want daily average user growth, it hasn't been able to create much value since it came public because it can't take big chances, like using direct messaging to replace banking functions or make it easy to sell things. Make it a super Etsy. By dinner taking the company private, I think mixed. Yeah, I think Musk, he could fix all this. He really could. But he could never do it in a publicly traded Twitter. He'd never get away with it. It's much easier for privately held companies to sacrifice short-term performance in order to build a foundation for longer-term growth. If I were on the board of Twitter, I would appoint a special committee to analyze the merits of Musk's bid. Is he serious? Can he commit the funds? Does he have partners? Can he pay more? Can he move fast? If they're satisfied, I think they should just take it. Seriously. Because right now, Twitter seems to have no vision. Better to take a serious Musk bid in the mid-50s than, by the way, have him destroy the stock and go home. Keep in mind, if Musk sells, Twitter's going right back to the 30s. That's where it's valued versus its comps. I don't know what Musk wants to do with the platform. Maybe his plans are crazy. But again, between crazy and nothing, give me crazy any day of the week. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Bunny. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.